Hello and welcome to another episode of Sounds Like Comics, the podcast devoted to all things comic books in movies and TV. I'm Luke. I'm Jay. Welcome to the podcast. Today's topic, Mystery Men, the film loosely based on Bob Burden's Flaming Carrot comics. The film stars Ben Stiller, Hank Azaria, William H. Macy, Greg Kinnear, Janine Garofalo, Ben Rubens, Kel Mitchell, I could just go on and on. This movie has a big, big cast. <laughs> this is your warning. We will be talking spoilers. Yeah. Uh, come out in 1999, the greatest year in cinema history, as quite a few people have dubbed it. You know, you're talking uh, The Matrix and this and... Uh, oh, there's... Uh, was it X-Men or Spider-Man 2? If you actually look at the X-Men was 2000, but you're right though. 99 was a huge year for cinema. Yeah. Um, Dream, what Dreams May Come came out that year and beat The Matrix for best special effects for the Oscar. Like there were so many huge movies that came out in that year. Uh, and I don't know what it was, but they were on a roll. This movie came out and, you know, this is post the this is like post the schumacher joel schumacher batman movies and uh before x-men yeah and before the nolan chris the batman movies and before the marvel universe and is very much in the era of those like 90s superhero movies in in the sorts of aesthetic and stuff so for me it is a bit of a uh a nostalgia trip. In fact, it was Me the too. very first DVD I ever watched. <laughs> like really? when I got my PlayStation Two, wow. I went quickly went to the video store and they this they didn't have a lot of stuff. I'm like, Mystery Men. Cool, I'll grab it. And that's that's the one I hired to watch. I think the first time I watched it was on VHS. Don't think yeah. it was DVD. Well, yeah, what an interesting time for it to come out. Because if you put it like that, 97, Batman and Robin, 98, Blade, 99, Mystery Men. Yeah. Yeah, it really came out at an interesting time. And, you know, on the back of Batman and Robin, I mean, Blade wasn't a traditional superhero movie. They were moving away from that. Even when we got X-Men in... 2000 black leather yeah um in fact you know even today if you go to people like oh you know like the original marvel movie that started off the thing blade he will give you this what are you talking about blade's not a marvel movie like ah, you might want to rewatch that movie it's got the title card that's front and everything but it was not done by marvel studios it was like x-men it was something that was sold out um but yeah this is this is the comedy one, as you said, based on the Flaming Carrot comics from Dark Horse comic books, um, which in and of itself is, it's weird. It's out there. You know, these are the, these are the companies that were doing the, the mask and um, other out there non-mainstream comics. Uh, and I remember an interview, I think it was a special feature off the DVD talking with one of the writers of the movie and they're like, yeah, yeah, we, you know, we initially pitched the, you know, the, the flaming carrot 
and we got these weird looks from studio executives. <laughs> so they kind of turn it into a mishmash of what it is. And they go, you know, we, uh, we took sort of side characters because they didn't want the flaming carrot <laughs> off out of those comics, like, you know, furious and these guys. Um, and some, they just created uh, out of like a mishmash of ideas they had uh, yeah. and honed them down to fit the, uh, the thoughts of what, fit for the executives everyone but casanova frankenstein and the spleen they're like no we those are the ones that were out off the comic book page that we didn't tone down oh wow because yeah <laughs> and uh yeah that's uh that's why you get those very specific performances <laughs> well which I, did, I love oh me too me too I, I did read the mystery men in the comic were supporting characters and in the movie Mr. Furious and the Shoveler were the only characters from the comic. Yeah. Make up the Mystery Men. Everybody else was original characters. And Flaming Carrot, I mean, doesn't he have a carrot for a head? Yeah. Yeah. So instead of that, <laughs> we get Captain Amazing. We get a new yeah. character for the movie. You know, you were talking about all the competition that this movie would have had in 99. It had a budget of sixty-eight million, box office thirty-three point five. Yeah, this it had some super competition. Yeah, this was not a hit. It received generally positive reviews from critics, but unfortunately, ended up being a box office bomb. However, many avid fans of the superhero genre consider this a cult classic, and. I agree. Same. I agree. There is there is a charm to this movie. There is a lot to like, and I have seen it so many times. Watched it again recently for this review. It is it's fun. It is it is a fun movie. And I did read as well, and I never got the comparisons, that your your main is it the main three? Or at least like Mr. Furious is apparently a take on Wildcat. And these were comparisons for the Justice Society of America. The Shoveler, Jay Garrick, but I think it's more so the Helmet. And yeah. Raja, who's he supposed to be? Maybe Alan Scott Green Lantern, but there were comparisons to JSA members back when they were putting the movie together. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Blue Raja who doesn't wear blue. <laughs> but do you know, right, when I was doing prep for this, I didn't realise there's a big line of action figures for this movie. You're kidding me. Toy line. The blue Raja toy is dressed in blue. Really? Like, that's I think the, one of the um, jokes. It's like you got the Raja. Took the name a bit too literal. <laughs> and they yeah. put blue. Yeah. Honestly, like this, we don't normally do this so early, but I'm going to say, I love this movie. <laughs> I like yeah. it so much. And there's so many lines that just have just stayed with me. Like the bit with Blue Raja. Fork give, fork get. It's cold <laughs> yeah, puns. Like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Hello, how... it's been this in the red eyes. I didn't expect to see you so spoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then Mr. Fury is his power. He hasn't really got a power. He just gets angry, but most people don't take him serious. Yeah, and the shoveler is a damn fine shoveler. That's all yeah. he's... You that's shovel. Not, he doesn't have a power. And you he shovel shovels well. really well. But you're not <laughs> a superhero. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
wow, this, I think, I think that's, this film. I think that's why out. I like it because the concept of like, what if you lived in a world with superheroes and you just really wanted to be one and you focused in on the one thing you had some talent at and it was nothing. Like, I'm the baker. So I'm throwing baked goods at you. <laughs> and like, you know, the villain's like, ow, that's a cookie. That's all right. It's not great. <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, I think that's one of the charms of it. It's like the, these are the, sh- the, the wannabes. And it's, they're almost like professional cosplayers who took it too far. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's great. Um, yeah. You know, you know, Captain Amazing played by Greg Kinnear, who's so like, smarmy the established superhero with the, the corporate logos like the pepsi and like the the, the um there's like a toothpaste brand yeah. it's like a, a car oil brand and stuff <laughs> and it's like like that sort of corporate idea for like a superhero just always, made you laugh always reminded me of booster gold yeah yeah absolutely um yeah and it's just he's so good as like the jerk entitled superhero because he's like he is booster gold but successful. Greg Kinnear is excellent in this. He plays it really well. Dual roles. Lance Hunt, yep. wearing glasses. <laughs> That's an amazing. And Ben Stiller yeah, as Roy is like it's the same person. He just takes off his glasses. That doesn't make any sense. He wouldn't be able to see. Yeah. I love it. It's so good. It's it's the whole Superman argument. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's uh, excellent. Let's let's try not to sit and quote the movie for the whole whole review. um, Are you familiar with the director at all? No. uh, Kinka Usher. I, I, I wrote the name down and I'm like, I'm sure I've probably seen other things but no idea who they are or what they've done. To date, this is the only film directed by Kinka Usher. Huh. Wow. He so, had I... such a bad time on this movie. Like He came from commercials where you got to tell the story in short bites. Yeah. And he had a really hard time with this movie and he's not gone back to film since. Wow. This is his only credit. As a film director, that's, yeah, that's uh, that's that's strange. You, you so rarely get that, like a a one and done director. Yeah, definitely. But this happens to be a good film as well. Yeah, but but again, but I guess at that time he had a, you know, not the best time making it. And then you looked at the you know box, box office, office. Yeah, so you can see how he'd be disheartened. But yeah, this is the only film credit to his name. At one time. Danny DeVito was set to direct as well as star as the shoveler. <laughs> that would have been very different. <laughs> yeah. I can just see uh, Frank from Always Sunny in Philadelphia <laughs> on the face of the shovel. <laughs> yeah. So we, we nearly, we nearly got that. I mean, Ben Stiller at one time was approached to direct, but he thought, you know, the, the scope of the movie was too big and just wanted to act in it instead and initially, they weren't looking at Mr. Furious for him, but he wanted to shake up his image. So he didn't just want to play the nice guy. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he goes, which, yeah. And yeah, his character is a jerk. And he's so, he's a wimp. Because like I said, he just gets angry <laughs> and that's it. Yeah, Nothing comes yeah. about it. He just yells, stands in the spawn place and yells. And he can't do comebacks. He's not quick-witted enough. He, uh, he doesn't have any physical ability. He just gets his ass whooped. He's, oh, one he's the time, one on he lifted a city bus. <laughs> yeah. That story is legendary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, he's great in this. Like, you know, I recently rewatched um, Zoolander. And yeah. Ben Stiller, come back. Come back and do the comedies that he used to do because he's really good at it. And, you know, he's good yeah. at another thing too, whether it's directing or more serious roles. But seeing him again in this as Mr. Furious, like, he's really good. I miss him. Yeah. Yeah. I, lo- I love when he's got told to junk it. And, it's the, and he, so he just grabs a little stress ball and makes his face all red. Yeah. It's like, and she's like, oh, to save your life. Junk it. She's oh, so unaffected, unaffected by him. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, William H. Macy, the shoveler, wearing his son's like hot, uh, baseball catcher's protective pad chest. Yeah. <laughs> and his minor hat, because he's a shoveler. That's his day job. <laughs> like, they're driving around in his, uh, in his wife's like station wagon. It's, it's so great. And William H. Macy, He's playing it so earnestly yeah. and straight. <laughs> mm, he's excellent. He, he's so yeah. good. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Hank Azaria. The Blue Raja. There's times he delivers lines in this movie, and I hear Professor Frank from the Simpsons. Yeah, it comes to occasionally. Or well, also known as Jeffrey, <laughs> when yeah. he's not the Blue yeah. Raja. Yeah. And he explains his whole get-up and, like, the meaning for us, like, I don't understand. Like, are you Indian? Are you British? What's going on? He's like, well, actually, India used to be a part of the British Empire. And he explains it like, it does, and it does make sense, except for the fact that he's not wearing blue. Yeah, it, it does make sense, but, but he shouldn't need to explain it. <laughs> like, yeah, he be, exactly. See him and get who he is. Yeah. And who he is, is a superhero who uses cutlery, but never knives. <laughs> yeah. Too dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't want to be... St- I'm not Mr. Stabby. I'm not the blue stab man. <laughs> oh, I... Oh, this movie. <laughs> I'm really glad <laughs> that we're talking about this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's great. Um, we should probably get to the plot. A group of aspiring superheroes repeatedly fail to protect their city due to their ineptitude. However they soon get another chance to prove themselves when a mysterious villain rises to power. Thanks for that. I completely <laughs> forgot to give the plot. I was too <laughs> invested in talking about yeah. the movie. Yeah, and that villain is Casanova Frankenstein, played by Jeffrey Rush, who is chewing the scenery so much. And I love it with the the accent, the the nails, using like <laughs> the pinky yeah, to yeah. like slash people. Um, oh, it's so good. He's so ridiculous. He's got, you know, a 73 Corvette Stingray stretch limo. <laughs> he's a, 
know, they he's known as Casanova Frankenstein, Casanova, a ladies' man, and in a asylum they give him a female shrink. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, that, genius. It's so good, and you know, he's been in prison. You know, that's obviously you know again, ninety nine. Uh, he's supposed to have been in prison for 20 years. So when he was in prison, but when he got put away, disco was big and his crew, the disco boys, disco boys <laughs> and their leader played by Eddie Izzard. Tony P. Tony P. And his mate, Tony C played by Prasen <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> and they're so, again, they're so over the top, but they're well themed. And they've got the the set of these the disco music. They do disco moves, and then they point a gun. <laughs> yeah, it works. It works. It's, you, it's you so mentioned great. you mentioned Casanova's psychiatrist, Lena Olin. She played Doctor Leak, and has two lines at the board meeting at the beginning of the movie. Never speaks again for the rest of the film. Yeah, and she's really, uh, quite high up in the <laughs> cast list as well. Yeah, yeah, but that's it. That's all she does. A couple of lines at the yeah. beginning. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's he, he's great. I, lo- I love Casanova and Frankenstein. I love Eddie Zard and Pras Mitchell and as the, the head of the Disco Boys. <laughs> I love so much about this movie. It's so ridiculous. You know, um, the bowler, Janine Gar- Garofalo, um, this was when she was in a lot of really, she was getting a lot of good roles, you know, reality bites, this, yeah. um, she was in the Kevin Smith movies around this time as well. Um, which Kevin Smith like, movies, uh, she was in, um, dogma. There you go. She was, yeah. She was at the start. She was the, uh, the other person who worked with Beth in the That's... abortion clinic. That's right. Yeah, at the time, Reality Bites, she was in that with Ben Stiller. Yeah, and um, that movie was massive. That was so big at the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she was, like, one of the biggest, she's probably the biggest female comedian on, on the planet at the time. Uh, actual stand-up, not in movies and that sort of stuff. But, yeah, she's in The Simpsons at the time. Okay. When, when Krusty tries to become a stand-up again, you know, they have Jay Leno on there. They have, and Krusty's trying to do stand up. She's one of the the comedians in the in the group. Yeah. Um, there you go. But yeah, she's great. She's got the uh, very much the alternative music look, and a bowling ball with a had dead head skull in there that talks to her, but you don't hear what the dad says. You only hear she her responses to it. But and she... she's the competent one. Yeah, but she's also like, it's like she does actually have a power, like she has an ability. I mean, when she throws the ball at the barbecue, it looks like it's kind of happening by accident. Yeah. But it still comes back to her, like, there's, you know, there's something mystical going on there. And like you said, yeah. yeah, she is one of the more competent members of the team. I mean, that tryout scene is excellent. Like Dane Cook. Yeah. <laughs> as the waffler. As the waffler. But you know what? Like, I've seen this movie so many times, but it's only when we're doing these that, okay, so let's, I'm going to delve deeper and look into it some more. What he was told to do is audition for the role of the waffler 
And what they were expecting was a character that just waffled and just talked <laughs> nonstop. But he took it upon himself to dress the waiters in the movie and be the waffler. And Ben Stiller's <laughs> like, what are you doing? I'm the waffler. <laughs> I mean, just it's knowing so that makes it better. Yeah, it's so great. It makes so much more sense. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was auditioning for the waffler. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, yeah, waffler, waffle iron, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, people yeah. with waffle irons. Yeah, and there's a few other people that pop up there, like Doug Jones, he's in there, isn't he? He Is it Pencil Man or... Oh, got... yeah, it is Doug Jones. It is. With it? his That's son, Doug Pencil Jones. Boy. That's it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, family get, uh, duo. And it wasn't oh. until this viewing that I spotted Michael Bay. Michael Bay's in this? Film director Michael Bay is in this movie. It's crazy. You've got two frat boys with Casanova Frankenstein, and one of them asks, can we bring the brewskis? That is Michael Bay. Holy cow. <laughs> what on earth? The people in this movie, I swear. Um, Apparently, he was good mates with the director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes sense, coming from commercials. Mm. But also, the, the frat boys again. Another crew with the clear cut like theme, <laughs> and it works. Um, you've got the invisible boy, uh, Kel Mitchell, who I always love this this whole thing. Yeah, who can turn invisible, but only when no one is looking at him. <laughs> and he also needs to himself have his eyes closed because if he looks <laughs> at himself, he will appear. Yeah. But then the gag, the payoff, he really can turn invisible. Yeah, again, only if no one's looking. <laughs> yeah, it negates itself as useful, except in the exact circumstance they needed it. I don't know about you, but a big part of my childhood, Keenan and Kel. Yeah, yeah. And Good Burger. Oh, Good Burger. You know, I watched that again recently, just out of curiosity. It's on Netflix at the moment. Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I take your order? I mean, yeah. it's a lot sillier than I remembered. <laughs> yeah. It's still, it's still fun. But yeah, growing up in Keenan and Kel, I was very excited at the time to see Kel Mitchell in this. And yeah, you know, he's playing a very different Kel to what, well, he's not playing Kel, but he's playing a different yeah. character with what we've seen previously. But he's, he's good in this. He's a little like, naive. Like, he's looking up to the heroes. Yeah, he's looking out to these nobodies as if they're like Captain Amazing. But he's also there in because he's like, hey, I know heaps of people. I can introduce you to other heroes. And yeah, you, you got a network. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned the spleen earlier. Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman. Here yeah. he is as a superhero whose flatulence makes others faint. That is his yeah. power. <laughs> yeah. With great how did, he get, how did he get his power? Uh, he happened to fart while walking down the street. And when people turned to accuse him, he blamed it on a young, uh, old gypsy woman who was standing nearby. <laughs> Big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, he's great. So good. Yeah. And he's like, always sleazy in like, hello, lady. No, God, no, 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 in no universe. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The woman is a tiger. 
<laughs> and there's a moment where he generally thinks that him and the bowl are having a moment. He's like, oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. And the fact that that was what was on the page of the comic, according to the writers, were like, they're like, yeah, yeah he would, no need to tone him down. Like, Paul <laughs> Rubens was more than willing to lean into that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's gross. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, so good. Um, and Sphinx is terribly mysterious, <laughs> played by uh, Wes Studi, who, he just Yoda's him. <laughs> but the but thing he is, can, though, like, he actually cut guns in half with the power of his mind. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, like... He can actually do it. Yeah. <laughs> because if you think, like Captain Amazing, like he's, he's not a meta-human, he's got a jetpack. Yeah, he's Bruce Wayne. He's got all this money, so he's got a jetpack and, he, and that's it. And he, I guess then we find he's fighting. There's other characters in this world that actually do have abilities and Sphinx is one of them. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... Uh... <laughs> yeah, but... I always love that. Just, uh, you know, what's this, you know, when they're talking about, we should get the Sphinx. And he's like, what's his powers? Oh, he's terribly mysterious. <laughs> and that was it. And every time he says something, everyone's all like, oh, yes, he's so wise, except for Roy, who's yeah. just <laughs> like, he's just saying back the first part to us. Yeah. Like, he's just mixing up his statement. Like, yeah. And there's yeah. a bit when he's like, were you going to say you were, weren't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not necessarily. Yes. <laughs> He's kind of got him in a corner. Yeah. Uh, and Roy's love interest, Monica, the uh, diner waitress, played by Claire Folani, who's absolutely of Kevin Smith movie uh, notoriety. Um, she was... Morvats. Morvats. She was Brandy. No, she was in Morvats. Yeah. Yeah, she's... And yeah, she's... Uh, She's just genuine. She's like, you know, he's clearly got affection for her and he's his whole persona of Furious is a complete pose. Yeah. Uh, and she's just got no, takes no bar of it unless he's actually Roy. And then she's like, okay. <laughs> well, there's it's, that moment early on where he's, he's trying to hit on her and he's, you know, he's got the tissue up the nose. His nose has been bleeding. <laughs> and he, and yeah. he goes to laugh and it fires out his nostril. <laughs> Into the uh, into the the charity bin. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, such a such a great cast, and Tom Waits is in this movie as Doc Heller, a mad scientist the, uh, who makes non-lethal weapons for the Mystery Man. So at first, like, yeah. oh, non-lethal, we're out of here, and then tornado in the can. Yeah. Um. <laughs> And he's in the very first scene of the movie. Like, you know, the, the red eyes are attacking, like, the aged care home. And there he is, hitting on the old ladies. That's it. Yeah, yeah. He's just here for the women. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Tom Waits, who, for those of you listening, and you may not be aware of this yourself, there is a strong, there's strong evidence that a lot of Heath Ledger's Joker was based on Tom Waits. Really? Mm. Like if you actually watch, there's some some interviews with Tom Waits. You like the voice, the mannerisms, some of his performances in some of the movies from like the 80s and like late 70s. You're like, huh, 
does feel very Heath Ledger Joker. Like, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I didn't, yeah. I didn't know that. What I did find when I was looking into him and his performance in this, his odd hand gestures when explaining the psycho fractulator were the result of him writing his dialogue on his fingers and reading the words as he went along. <laughs> so I guess he's trying to, you know, his hands are moving around the place and he's, he's trying to catch up and read the dialogue. Uh, that's great. It's... I mean, it, it made you seem a bit manic. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, uh, it fits his character, though. Like, yeah, he's... um, Yeah, everyone, all the characters are so... so well thought out in terms of, like, the design and the weird little quirks that make all of them unique. Um, and everyone... It looks like everyone was really enjoying themselves on this on this movie as well. It does, but when you look into it, according to Hank Azaria, the cast argued constantly with each other over the comedic tone of the film. Ah. Weird. Behind the scenes, it sounds like there was a few disruptions. I mean, the end result we clearly like, and they look as though they're having fun, but apparently behind the scenes, maybe... Not always. Yeah. So I always I always felt that this movie, and I know it came just a couple of years after Schumacher's Batman, but I always felt like it's Champion City, isn't it? Champion City. Yeah. I always felt it looked like Gotham. And it just reminded me of the aesthetic of the Schumacher films. Yeah, it does. It's got the neon, it's got the uh over-the-top monumentalism in terms of the uh, architectural design of the city. Um, yeah, it's, it's actually one of the notes I wrote down of, like, this just feels like the Schumacher Batman scenery. This might not surprise you, then. A number of the sets used in the film are the same sets used in Batman Forever. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Another Batman connection, Captain Amazing's jetpack uses the same sound effect as the turbine engine sound as the Batmobile from Batman 66. Ah, I love it. It's so great. Ah, and there's a Tim Burton connection as well. You know, I read online there was a rumor that this movie was secretly directed by Tim Burton. Ah, I wouldn't believe that. Uh, It's lacking... I mean, it isn't like we we know we know yeah, it's, yeah. We know it's not, but yeah, it's something yeah. that I saw circulating. And I guess one of the, I guess that it's got like a Batman movie feel, and you know the the sets of Batman Forever does make sense. There's animation from Henry Selick, yeah. who's a longtime Burton collaborator, and it's the warping death of Greg Kinnear's character. So when his face is morphing and then he eventually dies, yeah, that's all stop motion. Oh wow! Because that's Not what early CGI. Henry Selick did. Like you know, he worked with Burton on the Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, oh, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So I think that's probably a, one of the main reasons why people were thinking Burton was somehow secretly connected with this movie. Yeah, and the obvious Batman sets and that and uh, design aesthetics, but you know it's missing. If if this was a Tim Burton movie, 
Um, Helen Bonham Carter would be in there somewhere. Johnny Depp. As would Johnny Depp. <laughs> and of course. there would be some black and white stripe somewhere. <laughs> like no, like Frank, Casanova Frankenstein, his outfit would have like like black and white striped sleeves or something or, you know, some like he- heavy eye makeup. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's just missing some of the, the typical hallmarks. And, it it, is, you know, it and is. also his, his Batman movies were a lot more grounded than the ones this is clearly taking inspiration from and sets. <laughs> and again, I don't believe him for a minute. It's just, I thought it was yeah. an interesting rumor that I read. Yeah. Online. Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can see where people got it from though. I said the people involved timing, uh, the, the, bat, the Warner brothers, Batman movie connections. You know, people, oh, people wouldn't remember that Joel Schumacher was the director of those. We re- remember. But... Oh yeah. We know. Can't yeah. forget. <laughs> yeah yeah and even i did notice like the sets i'm like oh wow they don't make sets that look this way anymore because we film with higher resolution cameras and you have to make them higher quality <laughs> the music for this film was composed by stephen warbeck if you're unfamiliar with him i was i had to look yeah. at his uh, his past work he first became known for the music for Prime Suspect, yep. which is the old UK cop show, and won an Oscar for his score for Shakespeare in Love. So that's what he was doing. Then he was doing this movie. Then he did Captain Corelli's Mandolin. Oh, did he? Then he went on to do that. But okay, so in between, he did this film. After Warbeck's contributions were completed, the film's producers decided to alter various scenes. Because of this, composer Shirley Walker was brought in to create additional music and rearrange Warbeck's score to fit the new running time. Oh. Shirley Walker, Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series. Wow. I her. did think they had some, uh, some appropriately... Um, superhero music for, composed for this this film um on top of the smash mouth soundtrack <laughs> yes like shrek. What, what a whole year before shrek yeah. yeah like yeah these guys did it first um i mean i will always hear smash mouth and think shrek but always yeah but these but guys yeah, technically like, did it first yeah and the music is really good for them. not just the uh, the pop music they pick, but the 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 musical score by both of these guys is great. It's really well done. Um, I think yeah, I think everyone does a really good job on this whole. Assault. I, this is a an old favorite of mine. Yeah, I've, uh, we're clearly I, we're both <laughs> coming from that same place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can't. There's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in this for me. Um, and I can't speak ill of it. Even the only thing I can really say is it's it is definitely a bit of a time machine in talks of uh, uh, the the aesthetics for the film and and that kind of stuff. Where I mean, I watched this on here in Australia on binge um, that's streaming on there. And so that's not 4K, like a lot of the movies I have in my collection these days. 
Um, and I don't think there's probably a higher resolution available, which adds to that. Um, fashion choices, you know, the Furious is just wearing a leather jacket with like some medley, like tin foily thing on the forearms. The shove, like, I like the fact, but they, they have no money, the characters. They just whip something up. And then their big costumes at the end, they sewed themselves like a bunch of cosplayers. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, there's yeah. a whole montage. Yeah, sewing their costumes. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's great. Every it, it all works for me, um, and it's I don't I can't tell if it's because the movie is generally that good, or if it's just my nostalgia for it that helps carry it through. On top of the, I mean, the performances are great. The lines are great. This one. That's, but that's that's the thing though isn't it like it's it's a comedy and even after all these years it's still making you laugh yeah like uh when the bowler's giving her backstory you know her father was the original bowler like oh uh, you know i heard he died mysteriously yeah um they say he killed he uh had a bad day and threw himself down an open elevator shaft and landed on some bullets and the blue rice is like yes i've always suspected foul play he's like you think yeah, <laughs> yeah and uh yeah it's the disco voice who did it like hey tony p ah <laughs> oh, uh, so good okay i think we we need to officially rate it yeah um for me this is a an easy four out of five. Um, it's so enjoyable. Uh, it, the, the lines are so great. Everyone's so good at what they're doing from those who are chewing the scenery to those being like a lot more straight laced, like William H. Macy, um, the, the ridiculousness of the, these, the rejects who don't actually have abilities, you know, all of it works for me. Um, uh, four out of five. I, as I said, it is definitely, like you can you can feel the 1999 on this movie, um, but that probably for me just makes me enjoy it more. <laughs> yeah, I remember being a kid of the 80s, growing up in the 90s, and just thinking the 90s is just the 90s. It doesn't really have a look or a feel. Looking yeah. back, it clearly does. Like it really does. <laughs> and yeah, this it's a very 90s movie visually the soundtrack, but I'm with you. There's a lot of nostalgia at play here, but this is a movie that I've always watched and loved, like just liked it so much. I mean, to review it like critically, I mean, I'm in line with you. I think four out of five is a good, a good rating for, for this movie. Cause it's not a perfect movie, but it's a thoroughly enjoyable movie. And, Again, it came out at a time where it's not like now where you could just turn on Disney Plus and watch an MCU show. Or you can just, you know, we've got, you didn't have everything you've got now, all those comic book based movies, TV shows. We didn't have a lot in the 90s. So when something like Mystery Men came along, yes, it was funny, but also you, you grabbed hold of it because it was, it felt like a comic book movie. And I always enjoyed it for that. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, you know, having been slightly after Batman and Robin had kind of killed the Batman movie franchise. Uh, and it, you know, it was even fewer and far between like this had put that, that kind of killed superhero movies in general. Um, Blade was 
considered by most to be a vampire movie, not a superhero movie. And, you know, this was the one kind of like carrying the torch. Like, no, no, no. Like, we can have fun with these. Please, please like me. Check me out. And the fact that it was like a, the fact that it was a flop doesn't surprise me um, from the era just because it's stupid competition that year. Um, and the fact that there's probably still a bad taste in people's mouths from the f- collapse of the, the Warner Brothers movies of the time, from the Batman movies and stuff. But yeah, it's, I, I just love it. I just think this movie's great. Well, hopefully on the back of this review, people go back and revisit it because it really is so much fun. And yes, it's very 90s, but at the same time, the comedy, the superheroics, it holds up. Like, it... it it's a good movie. It is a very, very yeah. good movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it for our episode all about Mystery Men. If you want to contact us about this episode or request a topic for an upcoming episode, you can find us on Facebook as Sounds Like Comics Podcast. You've been listening to Luke and Jay, the guys from Sounds Like Comics. See you soon. Bye.